Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, January 19th. I am recording this podcast at 1045 a.m. Eastern Time. Why is that fact relevant to all of you Cracked Rackets listeners? Because as of this moment, day four is not yet officially in the books at the 2023 Australian Open. Right now, Andy Murray leads Tanasi Kokonakis 5-2 in the fourth set of their second round match. It is 2.45 a.m. on Friday morning in Melbourne, and yet we still have day four action on court. I think that fact perfectly encaptures what was a beautiful, brilliant, exciting day of tennis at the Australian Open, a day When we look back at this major, we will likely remember as the day it truly began, of course, countless upsets for us to get into here on today's show. You had the top two seeds, excuse me, the number two seeds on both the men's and women's side eliminated on day four of competition. Of course, on the women's side, it was another early morning match here on the East Coast, a late night match in Melbourne. But Marketa Von Drusova has reestablished herself as one of those players you just have to keep an eye on in every draw she's featured in as Vondrusova earns a three-set victory over second seed and two-time slam finalist last year, Own Jabur Vondrusova, a 6-1-5-7-6-1 victory where she just displayed her exceptional combination of variety and athleticism. I've said it before. I think Vondrusova is a top five mover on the WTA Tour. She certainly imposed her physicality on what was a wary Jabur, Jabur not 100% healthy throughout the course of this first month that was abundantly evident when watching her play, and yet credit to Von Drusva, who stayed disciplined, who stayed uh, spontaneous. Just It was a really fun match I want to get into here on today's show. Of course, on the men's side, for the first time since the 1994 Roland Garros, the top two seeds in the men's singles draw, both eliminated by American men. And the success of the American men has undoubtedly been one of the biggest storylines of this year's opening major. Of course, that fact amplified certainly on day four of this event as you had Jensen Brooks be a four-set win over Kasparu that really should have been finished in straight sets. Brooksby had match points at the end of set number three. All of a sudden, though, Rude survives. He takes the set. It feels like he's wrestled momentum away from Brooksby, but no, no, no. Jensen, exceptional to start the fourth set and ultimately, again, another massive victory for the 22-year-old American who is reminding all of us that he is not to be forgotten when looking at the big picture on the men's side moving forward. Of course, a couple of other Americans pulling off delightful upsets. If you're an American men's tennis fan, Michael Moe solidifies his spot 
inside the ATP Top 100. Mo, a four-set victory over certainly an injured and still returning to form 12th-seeded Alex Zverev. That said, hey, once the balls are rolled out, you got to win the match. And that's exactly what Michael Mo did. I'll explain how here on today's show. You had J.J. Wolf, who was clearly the better player from start to finish. Again, yeah, against, yes, an injured Diego Schwartzman. But again, you still have to win the match. That's exactly what J.J. Wolf does. Boy, was Tommy Paul exceptional. Certainly a nominee for top performer on day four as he earned an exciting five-set victory over 30th seed Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. And then, look, even on the other side of the equation, American men still a part of the story as eighth seeded Taylor Fritz knocked out on the day by Australian Alexi Popperin. This Australia's crowd's ability to rally behind their home country men and women. It's exceptional. And the energy in that match fueled Alexi Popperin, who played the match of his life. It was such high-level tennis from the Aussie as he earns a five-set win over Taylor Fritz. Of course, another upset on the day via Benjamin Bonzi. We'll get to on the women's side. Player likes, players like excuse me, Kudermatova, Kontave, Samsonova, Begu, they're all knocked out. There were what? You look overall on the day, 11 total upsets of seeds. Like, this, you know, I think there were maybe 13 total upsets coming into day number four, and we have 11 here to close out the second round. This is the day the 2023 Australian Open officially began. It was a delightful day of tennis that not only featured upsets, but of course, featured other top seeds in action. Arena Sabalenka, she might be, I mean, she it's not might, she's a tier one contender to win this Australian Open title. She has looked that good, not only in winning the Adelaide title week one of the season, but through her first two victories. Boy, she's just in a zone that I have never seen her sustain for this long of a period. She was excellent. Caroline Garcia had to play a top 10 level if she wanted to knock off Leila Fernandez, and that's exactly what Garcia is able to do in straight sets. You had continued solid performances from the Benchiches of the world, the Pliskovas of the world, the Linda Fruvertovas, or maybe it's Brenda. I think it's Linda, but we'll look in a second. But we had a Fruvertova sister into the third round of this Australian Open. Of course, on the men's side, players like Djokovic, Rublev, even Grigor Dimitrov, they all look pretty darn solid on day number four. So much tennis for us to dive into. So much so I had to go six minutes long on that intro, folks. It's day four. It's a major. Things start to slowly slow down. After this round, because again, we go from 32 matches a day to six, no more than 16 singles matches today. And of course, it continues to have from there. And boy, is 16 much more manageable than 32. That's when you feel your first significant drop off. So this will be the last day we don't take specific deep dives into specific matches. This will be the last day we look more big picture at what unfolded throughout the course of day four. As such, I'll hand out my awards, best performers, biggest surprises, most significant result. What was the best watch? Of course, what are the matches to watch on day number five, a day that promises to maybe even one up day number four? I mean, seriously, you start to look at some of the matches, which, of course, we previewed over on our Great Shot podcast feed. 
boy, oh boy, is this going to be an exciting stretch of tennis for all of us fans to enjoy. With that said, I'll get to day four momentarily. Before I do, I have to give a massive shout out to all of you listeners who continue to tune in day in, day out. Sincerely, we are on pace for a record number here in January 2023, and that's a testament to all of you who continue to trust us to provide you with the most up-to-date and accurate information on everything happening in the tennis world. We take that responsibility seriously. We will continue to do so moving forward. Of course, a massive shout out to the people who put us in a position to do exactly what we do today. Our dear friends at Tennis Point who have supported us from the start. They support tennis players everywhere by providing the best equipment at the lowest prices. You all know the deal. So I'll simply say tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. By the way, I can hear all of you asking the question already, why am I recording this podcast before Murray Kokonakis ends? It's because I got to hit the road. I am so excited to be headed to today's top 10 battle between the University of Michigan and University of Tennessee in Ann Arbor. That said, it's about a four-hour drive from Indianapolis back to Michigan. As such, I got to hit the road. And so I wanted to record this podcast, not leave you listeners hanging uh, with no episode. So with all of that said, And by the way, it looks like Andy Murray is going to take that fourth set. We should have a decider on our hands. It looks like Kokonakis may have injured himself midway through that fourth set. We'll see how that factors into the decider. But look, there are still so many fantastic performances to talk about. Again, 31 other matches here on day number four for us to get into I think we have to start with the best men's performances, and how can you start that list without talking about Jensen Brooksby's four-set victory over the second seed and two-time finalist at the Slams last year, Casper Ruud. You look for Brooksby, it was a 6-3-7-5-6-7-6-2 victory that Brooksby served for the match for. In set number three, he had multiple match point chances, pulled the trigger on a backhand line that he missed, sprayed a forehand line that he missed, and I believe the other one was just a long rally that ended up going Casper Root's way as he crafted that point beautifully. And look, you got to give uh, this part, this match had three acts. There were the first two sets that were far more competitive than the flow of the match seemed to indicate. There were a lot of deuces. There were a lot of, you know, long rallies, 30 all points. It just felt like Jensen Brooksby ended up coming away with all of those 30 all points. And that's a testament to the young American's ability to just hang around in every match that he plays. And you look for Brooksby in this match. The stats are aren't going to blow you away in terms of what Brooksby was able to accomplish. Again, only made 57% of his first serves, won just 63% of his first serve points, which is about 4% below the average of a top 50 player. 58% of his second serve points, that's a testament to the fact there's not that big of a difference between the first and second serves. You know, 50 winners in this match, but against 48 unforced errors, uh, again, 16 of 21 at the net. Jensen was just really solid from start to finish. He moves the ball around the court so exceptionally well. This is nothing you haven't heard already in my analysis of the 22-year-old Americans game, but he may have, if not the best hands, and they're not the best hands, but it's a top 10 set of hands, and his feel 
his ability to craft and get, you know, craft points and get outside the ball on both the forehand and backhand wings to create angles and opportunities, windows of attack for himself, his ability to change direction, his obviously on the slide defensive bump lob is elite. And it's just when he gets his hands on the ball, a high percentage thing always happens. And I've said this before, I'll say it again, that's 16 of 21 at the net. Jensen Brooksby is the is the worst good volleyer you will ever see. He is a good volleyer in the sense that if he gets his hands on the ball, it typically goes in the right place, although he'll hang a ton of volleys because of how his technique is utilized. And by the way, I sent out this tweet yesterday, the unofficial ranking of things Tennis Twitter thinks they can fix. Brooksby's serve is one. Sabalenka's serve is up there. Zverev's serve is up there. The Pass backhand return. Tennis commentary in general. Nick Kyrgios in general. These are all topics that people think that if they'd had the opportunity, they would be able to probably incorrectly, you know, they incorrectly think they can fix. That said, again, well, the Brooks Beast, you know, again, it's it's not 120 miles per hour. Sometimes it's not even 115 miles per hour. Sometimes it's not even 100 miles per hour. But Brooksby's ability to craft points, his ability to absorb, redirect pace, his ability to just lock in on that Kasparud backhand. I mean, the most impressive part of this match, you look at the extended rallies that they played because you look at the zero to four shots, Kasparud won 61 points. Brooksby won 60. And that's what kept this match close. Is very quietly, Casper was still able to manufacture with his serve, with his plus one forehand. Only hit 33 winners to Brooksby's 50. The unforced error count was pretty similar. But again, he had opportunities to attack. The problem was the extended rallies. When Brooksby lulled him into playing those five, eight, 12 shot rallies, you look for Brooksby, he won 89 of those points. Casper Root won just 66. And again, Brooksby's ability to just religiously find that Casper Root backhand wing and Casper's impatience throughout the early portions and then the, you know, the third act or the fourth set of this match, that's what defined it. And again, that's what makes Jensen Brooksby so efficient and so effective. He just never goes away again. Brooksby looked gassed. He looked out of energy. And I think it was an 82-minute third set. And again, Brooksby has a couple of match points that Casper... It was funny. Jensen hits a really good first serve, hits a really good plus one ball down the deuce side. Casper hits this bump lob high in the air. Jensen probably could have taken it as an overhead. He didn't. He let it bounce and plays a forehand. Casper works his way back into the court, ultimately wins the point through the ad side of the court. Casper turned it on. Like he started driving the backhand better. He just he he stayed immensely disciplined. He was like, you are not going to outgrind me for these 20 minutes where his back was against the wall at the end of that third set. But then, then act three begins and Brooksby takes a 3-0 double break lead to kick things off. And, you know, again, Casper has some chances. He hit a couple of plus one winners. He got two 30 alls and deuces in those first two service games. And Jensen just takes it away. His ability to, again, hit hit a variety of passing shots. It's a disgusting drop shot from a technique perspective, but boy, is it effective. He just is a good tennis player. He just, some people know how to play tennis. 
Jensen Brooksby is one of those people. You look for Brooksby, who is into the third round now of a major, I believe, for the third time in his career. Yes, did it at Wimbledon 2022. Did it, oh, excuse me, for the fourth time in his career as he reached round of 16 U.S. Open 2021, third round Wimbledon, third round U.S. Open last year, third round now of this Australian Open. So that's what? Of the last six slams, he's reached the round of 32 in three of them in each of the hardcourt slams, for what it's worth mentioning. Guess what, guys? That makes him a top 32 player. And you look for Jensen Brooksby with this victory, with this third round appearance. He's back up to number 38 in the live rankings. Considering he went 12 and 11 in first round matches last year, that is awfully impressive. And again, four third rounds in his last five majors. U.S. Uh, uh, yeah, U.S. Open, Wimbledon, U.S. Open, Australian Open. Four third rounds in his last five. Uh, no, last six majors. I mean, four third rounds in his last six majors. Do I? Have, wait, wait, wait. U.S. Open, and then the four last year, and then yeah, and then another one this year. Okay, four and six. Good math, Alex. It's early. I haven't been sleeping much. The hours are weird. Cut me some slack. You look for Jensen Brooksby. Massive victory. And in fact, you look for him against top 10 opponents. Second career top 10 win following his seat and win over Tsitsipas at Indian Wells last season. Credit to Brooksby. It's a tough Australia for Casper certainly considering his early exit in uh, in one of the early warm-up events. And then, of course, he uh, didn't have the greatest United Cup knocked out here second round of the Australian Open. That said, Casper's real caches of points. He, don't, he doesn't have to worry about them until a little bit later on in this season. Miami final, Indian Wells final, U.S. Open. Uh, Miami final, excuse me, French Open final, U.S. Open final. Those are, those are the big boys on the calendar for Casper. And he's talked openly on how he felt a little bit burnt out. He needs a little bit of an offseason. He's going to take February to do exactly that. Guess what? He's put himself in a position from a ranking perspective where he can afford to take some time to recalibrate, to refresh. And I think that's a really good decision for him considering, you know, he's still just turned 24 years old. There's plenty of time left, plenty of meat on the bone in Casper Ruud's career. He can afford to miss Doha, Dubai, Acapulco, all the, you know, Rotterdam. He will be okay without Casper Ruud in those events. And, you know, again, credit to Jensen Brooksby because he frustrated the hell out of Casper. And again, that is probably the defining quality of what makes Brooksby so effective so far. He is truly the definition of death by a thousand paper cuts. Shout out to uh, Casper Rude for, uh, excuse me, shout out to Jensen Brooksby. Shout out to Casper Rude for making this a match, but shout out to Jensen Brooksby who ultimately gets through in four sets. He is clearly your top performer on the day, but. More broadly, you probably have to talk about the American men in this category. Eight American men into the round of 32. Eight American men. That's 25%. I mean, again, there were more American men to reach the second round of this event since 1996. I imagine the eight American men will be also a record first time since the 90s. I haven't looked it up. I apologize. 25%. I had someone text me, a casual fan in my life, is American men's tennis back? You listeners know my thoughts on that. I know we don't have a, an unequivocal top-tier guy, but boy, between Korda and Brooksby, Nakashima, who came on so strong at the end of last year, and then, of course, the original next-gen guys, Fritz, Tommy Paul, Francis Tiafo. Can't forget about Riley Opelka, who's injured right now, but was one of the 10 best players to start 
January last year and has made the final of a Masters event. It's just like Mackey and Garone, who are clearly top 75 guys, and Cressy, who's always out there battling and on the right day. That serve, that serve and volley game is just going to be a disruption. J.J. Wolf, who beats Diego Schwartzman, 1-4-4. Four, and, four. and again, Diego wasn't moving great, but the serve, the forehand of Wolf, uh, he's unequivocally a top 50 guy on hard courts. And he makes a final at the end of last year indoors. He's now made the third round uh, at at every hard court major that he's every main draw that JJ Wolf has played at a major he's made at least the third round of now he's lost in the third round of the previous two but US Opens now this Australian Open main draw three third rounds for JJ whenever he's reached the main draw that's I mean come on three round of 32s in the past five hard court slams you're a top 50 hardcore player. He beats RBA at the U.S. Open. Now he beats Schwartzman comfortably when Schwartzman's weary. And I know Schwartzman's lost eight of his last nine hardcore matches, but Wolf beat him in straight sets. Like Michael Moe, who it was not pretty tennis. But credit to Mo, 6-7, 6-4, 6-3, over Zverev. Mo is just physically on a different planet than us mortals. He tracks down everything with such fluidity, such ease. And you can tell in Michael Mo's forehand, Michael Mo, who was a top junior, former USTA Kalamazoo Boys 18s champion, which means you're the top US junior. You get a wild card into the US Open. And some of his peers had already aged out, but he did ultimately win that title. And again, he was one of the guys in his age group, him, Kozlov. Tiafo, uh, obviously Fritz, Opelka, Tommy Paul. That was the crew. Those were the six guys that were really Noah Rubin, Donaldson, El Tamarano. They were the trend centers in American men's tennis. This is, you know, again, in Game of Thrones, Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen were the prince and princess that were promised. These are the Americans that were promised. And Eight into the round of 32. Like, you got eight shots. You got eight bites at the apple. Brooksby's playing Wolf, so someone's getting to week number two. For a long time, that was not a guarantee. And right now, Thursday, January 19th, it is a guarantee that at least one American will be in week two of this men's singles competition. And honestly, if it's only one, that will be a massive, massive disappointment. But, like, again, Zverev couldn't move to his forehand. The double fault yips were immense for Zverev at this Australian Open. I said this after his first round match. It's amazing. He cannot play for X amount of time, and yet everything can look so, so similar. And yet he just he couldn't hang with Mo physically, who extended too many rallies, who, when given the opportunity of Zverev, started to push and got lulled into playing at Mo's pace. Mo will sneakily explode into a forehand. And Mo, much like Taylor Fritz, not the greatest volleyer in the world. He's become much, much more willing to at least put himself in a position to be a volleyer. But look, again, Mo was aggressive enough. He was certainly athletic enough. He put enough pressure on Zverev, put enough returns in play that when Zverev missed the first serve, he felt those yips. And again, credit to Michael Mo. Into the third round of a major for the first time in his career, you look for Mo up to a new career high, number 82 in the live rankings. That just changes everything for Mo, who's had so many injuries. And he reached the top 100 back in 2018, but he's been injured on and off for pretty much the past five years, which, you know, you look for Michael Moe, just turned 25 years old, just got engaged. Shout out to Moe. Um, 25 years old, you're still at the beginning or maybe beginning midsection of your prime. Like there's still a lot of real estate for Michael Moe. And again, athletically, you can tell watching him play and his forehand. I mentioned this, we've come full circle. 
has gone under a lot of reconstruction over the years. It used to be a bigger backswing. Now he's so concise with it. It's literally straight take back, under ball, around ball, outside ball, follow through over shoulder. And like the backhand is much more fluid. It always has been. But you can tell there are times when Michael Moe's afraid to swing at full speed just because he never knows just how hard he's capable of hitting the ball because it can be that explosive. And when he does choose to ramp up the racket speed, again, the weapons are there. He's now a top 100 player who's got a nice set of cash to sit on to start the year as well. And, you know, again, Mo's always been one of the guys of his generation after a ton of challenger success last year. And last year, he played more than 40 matches for the first time in like five seasons. Mo is healthy. Mo is fit. Mo is into the third round where he'll play a guy he knows in fellow American J.J. Wolf. They've seen a lot of each other on the ATP challenger circuit over the year. And we'll preview that match later. But I mean, come on now. Uh, Michael Moe's another one. How about Ben freaking Shelton? I can't believe I've gone this long and not mentioned Shelton. And, you know, by the way, you look for Shelton, who's now into the third round of this uh, of this U.S. Open. For first time he reaches the third round of a major in his career, the 20-year-old Shelton, who has zero, I repeat, zero points to defend until June of this year. Zero points. Every win he gets is just a free bonus to his total. He's up to number 76 in the live rankings. Like, and you're going to put Ben on indoor hard courts in Europe or go have him play in Mexico or go have him play in the Middle East, whatever it may be. Like, and every win he earns is just free points. And for Shelton, it was a 6-6-5 six, six, and five win over Nicolas Iari, who, if you haven't seen the big serving, big forehand of the Chilean, I mean, again, this was grown man tennis. A lot of plus ones. Ben was the was the better improviser. Ben's defensive skills were far superior. And the problem for Yari, and he didn't have many problems. He's broken, I think, once throughout the course of the match. In the biggest moments, he was too willing to serve to Ben's backhand. And that's a mistake. You got to serve to the Ben forehand because it's the bigger backswing. It's the more extreme grip. It's the side where he's more likely to produce an unforced error. And again, Ben's backhand is so sound, the backswing's so condensed, he's so strong that if he gets his hands on the ball, he's just going to create enough depth to get things back to neutral. I don't love his slice watching it on a stream, but having seen it in person, it is far more effective than it looks. I thought he passed really well, did a great job of dipping first passes at the feet of Yari, and that set him up, you know, that earned him ultimately the match point that earned him mini breaks as well in each of the tie breaks. Ben could just do more things than Yari. He's, he could match him on the serve plus one prowess. It was fascinating because I've said this quote before. There is a player who played Ben in college. I was asking him what it was like. He said, Alex, when Ben serves out wide on the ad side, you're just f***ed because he's either going to – when he lands that out wide serve – a, it's either going to be an ace or B, you know, if you're lucky enough to even get your hands on it, now you've popped up a ball and he's got a first forehand, which he's either going to hit perfectly to the wide open space or he's going to hit it behind you. And again, you're just not winning the point. And it was fascinating to hear the commentators come to that realization. They're like, Jari's got to take away the out wide serve on the ad side. It's like, you can't. That's how well he hits the slider. Then he slides it into your body. Then he hits it up the tee, can change up all the spots and hit the kicker on the deuce side as well. There's a reason. We're so hyped here at Crack Rackets for Ben Shelton, and he has shown it certainly through these first two rounds, Ben, into the third round where, look, it's a really winnable match as he's going to take on an Alexi Popper in that it's a perfect matchup, perfect matchup for Ben. And by the way, one of Popperin, Shelton, Jari, and Moe, 
one of those guys is going to the quarterfinals. How awesome is that? Like, come on now. One of them is going to the quarterfinals. That's crazy. Like, two former number one players in college tennis, a former number one U.S. junior who won Kalamazoo, which, is, again, this is, the, this is the generation Colette Lewis promised us, and then Alexi Popperin, who the home crowd will go nuts for. This is, a, this is a fun section. In what has otherwise been a pretty stable men's draw, this is the quarter that has opened. Or I should say, whatever, yeah, the quarter, the 16th, that has opened up. Oh, man. Like... Buckle your seatbelts. This is going to be a fun ending. And again, I've talked about a, a lot about the American successes, and that's certainly your best performers on the men's side of the day. Uh, but I got to give a shout out to one guy uh, who I haven't talked about yet, Tommy Paul, five set winner over Davidovich Fokina, 6226676364. You look for Tommy now. He's into the third round of a major for the third consecutive event you look for Tommy who reached round of 16 at Wimbledon then reaches third round US Open before getting knocked out in a really fun five set match against Casper Ruud now straight set win over Struff and then a really testy five set win over Davidovich Fokina that you know three hours 50 minutes the match was extraordinarily athletic a lot of physical rallies in the match Tommy was more consistent and that's the crazy thing to say out loud. And that's been the difference for Tommy Paul since the start of last year's grass court season. He's just more disciplined, point in, point out. He's more willing and more active in hitting the big for, uh, forehand that he's capable of hitting, of consistently driving the ball instead of being reactive. He's constantly proactive. That's probably the best way to put it. I mean, he's always had an immense skill set. He's always usually the best athlete on the court and as good of an athlete as Davidovich Fokina is. You know, I thought the athleticism, again, Tommy's never less athletic than his opponent, but he's just become a really polished tennis player as well and much more disciplined. Again, five set win for Tommy Paul, who with his victory back up to number 32, uh, 34, excuse me, in the live rankings. One more victory. He'll jump up to number 32. I mean, again, talk about a dangerous guy who we knew coming in should have probably been seeded, wasn't, and now he gets to the round of 32, and there are 32 seeds in the event. Tommy beats 30th seeded Davidovich Fokina, proving, yeah, he's one of those guys moving forward. One of eight Americans into round three of this event. That is extraordinary, certainly, Americans, your best performers on the day. That said, one more men's, and then we'll move on to the women's side. Got to give a shout-out to Alexi Popperin. Oh, was Popperin exceptional in a five-set victory, 6-7-7-6-6-4, over Taylor Fritz. Popperin actually had a match point uh, in the the fourth set breaker, was up 6-5. Fritz ultimately hits a pretty good first serve that gets him out of a jam. But look, 21 aces for Fritz, 19 for Popperin. Fritz won 75% of his first serves. Popperin won 87 percent of his first serves, including a third set where Popperin went 20 of 20 on both first and second serve points in set number three. A perfect set on serve. That is extraordinary. And look, here's the glass half full. Popperin, 74 winners against 44 unforced errors in this match. 74 winners. I mean, again, his forehand is extraordinary. He had 28 forehand winners in throughout the course of this match, which is ridiculous from the ground. He hit, uh, what, another three passing shots, another approach shot winner as well. So, you know, 31 of his winners came on that forehand wing. 
it's a top 50 weapon. Like, again, his ability to set up things with the serve, the forehand on this surface in particular, which gives him a little bit more time to move to that shot. He's more comfortable moving on this than Clay. He had the sort of a weapons, the elite power that still gives Taylor Fritz trouble. Because as much as Taylor Fritz has improved as a mover, his biggest weakness is still he is not the most fluid athlete. And Popperin possesses this sort of elite weaponry that stresses that movement. And you could tell Taylor Fritz was constantly stressed throughout the course of this match. Now, Taylor played a good match. I mean, again, he had the whole crowd against him. He's down match point in the fourth after having a set point up 5-3 and serving for the set. Popper ends up breaking him, leveling things. Popper has all of this momentum. Fritz is able to stable the ship, win set number four. And Fritz also hurts his ankle, or maybe it was his, his knee. But I, I know, again, he got heavily taped for a medical timeout, I believe, after set number three in this match. And yet again... Slowly but surely, Popperin broke down the Fritz wall. Popperin's just, his serve, his forehand were the two most consistent weapons in this match. And as many chances as Fritz tried to give himself, and to his credit, he hit 67 winners in this match. He hit, you know, to the 74 off of Popperin's racket. He hit only 40 unforced errors to the 70, uh, to the 44 off of Popperin's racket. You know, neither of these guys had a ton of breakpoint chances. Fritz was one of two. Popperin was four of 11, but obviously a couple of those breaks come in the deciding set. This was really good tennis. I don't know how else to say it. This was really good tennis. This was top 25 stuff. Bring your weapons. Bring your first serve. It, it, you better play on your terms. You better be on your front foot. And Alexi Popperin sustained that for four-plus hours in this match. Again, Fritz did not pay, play poorly. Popperin went out and won this thing. You look for Alexi Popperin. It's crazy how much of the wild card success has come in Australia. And you look for Popperin, who was outside the top 120, now up to number 90 in this live ranking. Excuse me, he's outside the top 110, now up to number 90 in the live rankings. With this result, you look for Popperin in his career at the Slams. Popperin has now reached the third round for the third time in his career. He's done it twice in, uh, excuse me, fourth time in his career. He's done it three times at the Australian Open, once at the U.S. Open. I mean, look, again, home crowd, big weapons. He's fit. He knows the conditions. That's a really good win for the 23-year-old who it feels like Popperin's been a lo- around longer than that, and yet still only 23 years old. He's inside the top 100. Isn't that ultimately where you want to be still working your way through? And again, you see the weapons. He's got a top 50 caliber serve forehand combination. It's just about finding plans B, C, and D, continuing to improve that backhand. I thought he hit the backhand very well today, sliced with depth to get the ball out of Fritz strike zone, and then was more confident swinging through that backhand down the line, which I believe what he missed on the match point up 6-5 in the breaker. Yeah, that's what it was. He missed a backhand line, which I thought was a good attempt. He was more confident in hitting it. Again, I, I think Popperin's continued to improve, uh, and certainly him reaching the third round and having an opportunity at a quarterfinal is the manifestation of that fact. Credit to the 23-year-old, who, again, younger than you think, and into the third round of a major for the fourth time in his career. With that said, let's move over 
to the women's side. And I don't think I'm going to spend quite as long talking about the top performers on the women's side because I do think things were fairly par for the course. But we got to start with Marketa Von Drusova, who knocks out second-seeded Onjbur, 6-1, You look uh, for Von Drusova. She just played with the exact sort of variety, the exact sort of creativity, and stretched the court precisely how you need to do against someone who was clearly hobbled, not moving their best, and wants to dictate with her own weaponry in own Jabur and Von Drusova's ability to mix in her own drop shots and respond slice to slice with Jabur and play high and heavy topspin to get that ball on Jabur's shoulder where it's a little bit harder to drive through that slice. Von Drusova played with great variety. Uh, and again, 6-1, You look at the stats from this match. Von Drusova, 24 unforced errors to Jabur's 50. Only 17 winners to Jabur's 27. But you could tell, especially in set number three, Jabur just didn't have it in her to play the 5, 10, 15 shot rallies that were required. And you look overall in this match, there are 170 total points in this one, 86 of them. Uh, were ultimately points that went five shots or more. So the majority of the points in this match, again, were long physical rallies that all ended up slanting towards Von Drusova. Now, credit to Jabur, who found some shot making in set number two. And you look for Jabur, she hit 19 of her winners, 19 unforced errors in set two. It was when she was striking the ball best. She started taking things early on the rise and swinging through things, kind of abandoned the slice. And again, she just wasn't able to sustain that level given she was banged up entering this Australian Open. No doubt about that. But again, credit to Marketa Von Drusova, who is in to the round of 32. And look, Tennis Abstract likes Marketa Von Drusova. The, the advanced analytics, she's top 20 in overall ELO. She obviously had a lot of success at the 100Ks, 125Ks to end last season as she was working her way back. And look, this is someone who's made a slam final before in her career. And you look for Von Drusova, who's uh, currently sitting at number 97 in the live rankings. That's incorrect because they haven't added her points yet. She's back up to number 88 in the live rankings with this third round result. Of course, she made a run in Australia last year. So she had some points to defend, and it keeps her inside the top 100. But look, Von Drusova will be a favorite in her next match as she's taken on the teenage sensation. It is Linda Fruvertova. I was right. Always go with the first instinct. Linda, the older of the Fruvertova sisters, who is into the third round of a major for a first time in her career. 17 years old is Fruvertova, and yet she's yet to drop a set win over wild cards for Lee and Kimberly Burrell. Burrell just didn't have the weapons to hurt her. Now, Burrell's backhand down the line kept her competitive, but this match was on Fruvertova's terms. Fruvertova hitting the big first serve. Uh, Fruvertova moves the ball around the court so well. Reminds me of Belinda Bencic with just how clean the contact point is. It's a bigger forehand backswing, but when she has time, she just explodes through that ball. And I think she's gotten even better as a mover, even over the course of the past six months. That said... How she handles the variety, the physicality of Von Drusova will certainly be fascinating. Two checks, and check women's tennis in general with Naskova's first month, and obviously players like Pliskova playing really well here. You have Von Drusova, Fruvertova, one of them guaranteed to reach the second week of this event. Krachikova still alive in the top half of the draw. It's been a really good January for Czech women's tennis. Uh, for yeah, Czech women's tennis, and I mean it's been a good. 
20 years for Czech women's tennis, but it, and honestly, 40 years. Uh, but obviously, uh, things have persisted here. And so, again, credit to Van Drusva, credit to Fruvertova, who I do have to say were two of your top performers on the day. I also got to give a shout out to Donna Vekic. Breaks uh, Samsonova right from the start in sets one and two, three and oh over the 18th seed and big hitting Russian who you listeners know I'm high, I'm a high on stock wise. I just think her power tennis is transcendent when you have those sort of weapons, when you're able to be a top two server on the WTA tour, you just get to play a lot of matches on your own terms. And I think that's going to be something uh, Ludmilla Samsonova is going to have the opportunity to do throughout the course of her career. That said, she was not able to play on her terms in this match and credit to Donna Vekic. I forgot how much power the 26-year-old Vekic possesses and you know she made a San Diego final to end last season and after falling outside the top 100 Donna Vekic back up to number 47 in the live rankings with this run to the third round has very winnable matches against Parisa's Diaz in the third round and then would play the Fruvertova von Trusova winner in the fourth round there's no reason Donna Vekic can't get to a quarterfinal. And if she does that, now she's back inside the top 40. Now she doesn't have to worry about playing qualifying anywhere. And she's got the rest of the year to really add points to her resume as last year was such a struggle to start. I mean, Samsonova sprayed everywhere. And, you know, again, a quick look at the stats in this match. Credit to Vekic who put Samsonova on her back foot forced Samsonova to feel like she had to press even that much more early in the rally. But you look for Ludmilla Samsonova throughout the course of this match. 15 winners, 27 unforced errors. Vekic only had to hit 10 winners in this match against eight unforced errors. And yet it was her ability to take the return early on the rise, particularly on the second serve. She trapped that kick serve early with her backhand and she just took it away from Samsonova. And so again, credit to Donna Vekic, who's playing very much like the top 25 player she was. Back in 2019, Vekic 3-0 win over Ludmilla Samsonova. Again, your other top performances, and this sort of bleeds into biggest surprises, I suppose, as well on the women's side. Well, let's start with Katie Valinets. 6-4-2-6-6-2 over Kudermatova. Katie Valinets, a former top U.S. junior in the world as well. She is just an athlete. Like, she moves so – I mean, Herm Brooksby grew up with the same coach, Joseph Gilbert, although I believe Valinets has subsequently moved on. But, oh, my God, her ability to absorb the first strike of Kudermatova, her ability to just put a million returns in play and outside of the second set take away the easy first strike opportunities for the ninth-seeded Russian – I mean, Folly Nets is so fluid. She moves the ball so well around the court, and she just asks a million questions of you. Everything I said about Jensen Brooksby, it applies to Katie Volley Nets, and again, there was just such a smile on her face. You could tell the joy she was experiencing throughout the course of the match. Now, look, Kudermatova got sloppy. 47 unforced errors to Volley Nets, 28. 31 winners for what it's worth to Volley Nets, 14. But again, it's a credit to Katie Volley Nets, who just consistently made that extra ball with depth. The bump lob was exceptional. Her ability to move the ball around the court, exceptional. Her ability to step up and rip the backhand cross court. I actually think she paces a little bit easier for her to generate relative to her competition than it is for Brooksby. I think she's gotten stronger. I think she's gotten faster. She used to be very slight. She's not anymore. You can see the muscle and 
you know, again, you can see the strength in her fitness, in her first step. So shout out to Katie Volley. And that's into the third round of a major for the first time in her career up to number 96 inside the top 100 of the live rankings for the first time as well. Not too shabby for the 21-year-old qualifier, of course. Other upsets on the day. Magdalenette. Oh my God, she was so good. I think she built a 4-1 lead in the third set, and she was so good in that third set against Annette Conteve, who, again, I don't think played poorly, but this is where Conteve's lack of an elite weapon, a lack of making life easy for herself, it just creates opportunities for her opponents to catch fire to slowly work their way back, to get a lot of rhythm as well, given how many balls Conteve puts in the court. And that's exactly what happened with Magda Lynette. 3-6-6-3-6-4. I believe Lynette now is going to have her sixth opportunity to reach a second week of a major for a first time in her career. You look for Lynette, 30 years old, currently sitting at 42 in the live rankings, nine off her career high. Good place for the veteran to be. And then shout out to Laura Siegemann. Three-set win over Arena Camilla Begu, 6-3 in the third for Siegemund. That was sneakily one of the best watches of the day. That was a really physical match. And I really like the game of Arena Camilla Begu, who quietly is right around 30 and is playing some of the best tennis of her career. She moves pretty well, can step up and take the ball early on the rise. And yet Siegemund was a little more creative. She was certainly going down swinging, was just like, again, there's times when she entered mode and just sort of did what she had to do. And again, credit to, uh, credit to Siegemund for ultimately the boldness, the bravery and advancing over Begu in three sets. And now you look over on the women's side, 12 total seeds eliminated. You have Jabur, Kasatkina, Kudermatova, Haddad Maya, Kvitova, Kanteve, Samsonova, Trevisan, Bozhkova, Anisimova, Chinwen, Kinepi, and Teichman all knocked out thus far. I would say those are your biggest surprises on the women's side. On the men's side... I mean, again, I'm surprised. Eight Americans into the round of 32. I'm going to keep reiterating that until it becomes real. I'm surprised that RBA managed to come back. Roberto Bautista Gut went down 6-4-6-2. Brandon Holt was just absorbing, redirecting everything RBA threw at him. He hit his back end down the line so well the first two sets. It just seemed like RBA was lost out there on court when there was a long opening service game that he ultimately held to start out the third set. You just thought to yourself, oh man, like he is on fumes, but he wasn't. He stayed patient. And again, it's not the tortoise. It's the hare. Excuse me. It's not the hare. It's the tortoise who ultimately wins in the end. RBA 4626636262 over Brandon Holt. My hot take, Brandon Holt is 6-1 Sebi Corda. Go watch their form, how fluid each of them are, how well they lean into their backhands, how condensed and yet, again, open stance their forehands are as well. They're each more comfortable, I think, hitting that ball inside out, but still capable of getting outside it and going cross court with depth. Again, Holt, another guy who you feel like the ceiling is him being very good at everything, but maybe not great at anything because he doesn't have the size or just the elite weapons. And yet, very good at everything means a lot. And this was just a really fun physical long points match where RBA just in the end too fit. You know, you could tell Holt lost his legs by set number five, and that's what RBA does most effectively. So that was probably the biggest surprise is that he managed to work his way back. I thought Grigor Dimitrov was surprising. 3-2-0 over Laszlo Jura. Now I picked Dimitrov to win his match over Jura as an ace of the day, and shout out to both he and Alex, Alex Diemenauer, I needed him to win a 6-1 or better fourth set 
to cover a five and a half game spread. What does he do? He gives me a six one fourth set. I love you, Alex Diemenauer. You'll forever have a special. This is why I ride with him because it's just you feel good. You know he's going to give you the effort. You know he's never you're never going to come off the court thinking, oh, Diemenauer didn't give it his best today. Um, so that was delightful. Um, but yeah, Dimitrov's been striking the ball well. The forehand looks brilliant. He looks fit as a fiddle. Now the problem for him is next up is Novak, who gets a four set victory. He drops his sets, the 7-6 uh, second set. He takes an injury timeout, and we're still nervous, certainly, about that hamstring, which has been heavily taped for Djokovic in his first two rounds. But 6-1-6-7-6-2-6-0. He turned on the Jets, was ready to get off court. That's exactly what he does. Dimitrov has some weapons to push him, but, I mean, Novak has owned that matchup throughout their careers. So, again, Djokovic losing a su- set maybe a bit of a surprise. How good Grigors looked has been a bit of a surprise as well. But, you know, looking at the most significant women's results on the day, this will allow me, I suppose, to touch on everything else that's happened. You look for Caroline Garcia. I mean, 6-5 and five over Layla Fernandez. I think the most significant part of that match is that Layla Fernandez looked to be back to her 2021 self. Layla had so many, so many opportunities throughout the course of this match. So many deuce points, 30 alls. Just, you know, you look overall in terms of break point chances. Layla Fernandez, 1 of 9 in the match versus Caroline Garcia, who goes 2 of 3. You know, Fernandez, 18 winners against 14 unforced errors versus Garcia's 40 to 24. But part of that is a byproduct of just how aggressive Caroline Garcia is. And I want to point out that number again, 40 winners against 24 unforced errors. She was 16 of 21 at the net when 77% of her first serve points hit 11 aces in the match. She plays elite power tennis. There's a reason she was the number one server on the WTA Tour amongst top 50 players last season. There's a reason she wins Cincinnati, wins an indoor hardcourt event at the WTA Tour finals. It's because the weaponry is elite. Her willingness to go after the first serve, first forehand combination, her willingness to take that ball as a swinging volley win, that's what the moment calls for. She just constantly had Fernandez on the run. And look, Fernandez did an exceptional job when pushed on the run, of asking the question of Garcia. She did a great job of pushing Garcia off the baseline in her own service games. And look, she did a great job of absorbing that serve and hitting the return with enough depth to at least force Garcia into a more difficult first strike. But Garcia played top 10 tennis. That's what it comes down to in this match. That's why it's the most significant. Is For the first time in this event, Caroline, Caroline Garcia looked very much like a number four seed and a player who can absolutely win the tournament. That was a great win for Garcia. Glass half full for Fernandez, who again looked fit, looked locked in. Just you saw the full shot making display from her. This was a delightful match, but ultimately again Garcia gets through. That's probably your most significant women's result of the day. Other than Sabalenka, who three and ones Shelby Rogers. It's a tier one player. This Sabalenka is a tier one player. And every major is better when this version of her show up shows up, when you don't have the double fault yips, where you don't have the lapses in concentration, where she's moving better than she's ever moved before, and she's just so powerful. If she's there, something good is going to happen for her. Three and one. That's exceptional. Again, she was awesome. Claire Liu had an early lead, but Belinda Bencic fights off, I believe, a couple set points. Six and three win over Liu. That was a really high-level match. Bencic, I will continue to say it, has been a top 10 player everywhere but the majors over the course of the past 15, uh, really since the Olympics, I would say, back in 2021. How about Carolina Pliskova? 
won that first set 6-0 over Yulia Putensva in like 22 minutes. 0-5 win for Pliskova. Her draw has opened up. You look for Pliskova, gets Gracheva next, then the winner of Vali Nets and Jung Shui. You know, it would be a potential Caroline Garcia matchup in the quarterfinals, but I mean, she made the quarterfinals at the U.S. Open. Now she'd sneak into the quarterfinals of the Australian Open potentially, considering she was one match over 500 after her first round victory over her last 52 weeks here in Australia, uh, over her last 50 weeks in total, excuse me. You sneak two quarterfinals into that barely over 500 record. That's how you sustain a top 35 ranking, folks. Shout out to Carolina Pliskova, who is slowly but surely returning to form. I mentioned Fruvertova. I mean, again, I would say those are your most significant women's results on the day. On the men's side, Djokovic losing a set. Having to take an injury timeout feels relevant. Again, I mentioned all of the upsets. All of those are significant. How about Holger Runa? 5-4-4, a break in every set against Max Cressy, against a top five server on the ATP Tour. That's a really good performance for Holger Runa, who, by the way, is playing his last slam event as a teenager. And we joke all the time about the not eliminated from the GOAT race discussion. I'll tell you what, it really helps you not be eliminated from the GOAT discussion if you win a major as a teenager, which, of course, at this point, I suppose Holger Runa is still capable of doing. That said, again, to blitz through the rest of the results we saw on day number four, you had on the women's side, uh, Nuria Prezes Diaz. How about this? Three and two over Potapova. Nice follow-up win for her after the win over Haddad Maya. Camilla Georgi, 0-1 in round one. Four and three over Schmidlova in round two. And then Gracheva, three and one over Stefanini. You also had Zheng Shui, straight set win over Petra Marcic. She, at, you know, in 32 years old, playing the best tennis of her career. And then Elisa Mertens, four and three over Lauren Davis. Davis, you could tell, just ran out of gas, but... Hey, it's another third round for Merton. She's missed. She's made what, like 19 out of the last 20 third rounds at the majors. That, my folks, is how you get yourself paid on the men's side. I haven't talked much about Dan Evans. Straight set win for him to get to just another ho-hummer third round. That's how you stay top 32 in the ATP rankings as he had. Again, Rublev. I thought he played his best tennis of the year. Four set win over Rusevori. Rusevori really raised his level in set number three. And I don't think Rublev played poorly. Certainly he was frustrated with himself, but he bounced back very positively. 6-3 in the fourth. And then Ugo Umber, four set win over Dennis Kudla. Boy, after what was a disastrous start to 2022, this is exactly, exactly what Ugo Umber needed to kick off his 2023 season. You look for Umber, who uh, now in the live rankings back up to number 85 into the top 100 indoor hard courts where he's had so much success in his career coming up in February. And now he'll get into those events. This was a massive, massive run for the 24-year-old to start his year. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's your day four, and now our third round is set, and boy, does it get off with a bang. Of course, to hear an extensive preview of all the action, go head over to our Great Shot podcast feed where we offer previews each and every day on the Ace of the Day podcast. With that said, I mean, 
come on now. You look at the matches we've got in store for us, whether it's, you know, Korda versus Medvedev, Hurkat Shapovalov, Hachinov Tiafo, or, you know, certainly here even on Friday night, you've got Nori Lehechka, McDonald Nishioka, Tsitsipas Greek Sport match that I think is going to be sneaky good, of course, on the women's side. Get your popcorn ready. You know, Kalanina Krechikova, Paragoff, Rabakina Collins, Pagula Kostyuk. Those are such good matches. Keys Azarenka on Rod Lave Arena, 3 a.m. Eastern time. You might as well stay up for that. You know, Keys 18-2 in her last 20 matches in Australia. And then Azarenka has just looked amazing uh, so far through these first three weeks. It's going to be a really fun uh, day number five. As good as day four was, I really do think day five might be the best day of this 2023 Australian Open. And of course, we will be back tomorrow to recap it all. I know the Murray match is in a fifth set now. I apologize. I'm finishing the podcast before it finishes. If it goes 7-6 in the third, we'll do a little 10-minute bonus pod where I offer my thoughts on that match exclusively. That's my promise to all of you listeners, and I'll touch on it more on tomorrow's show as well. No, we'll do an emergency pod because it's in a fifth set. We're doing a 10-minute emergency pod, I promise. But with all of that said, uh, of course, again, preview content over the Great Shot podcast feed. Tons of college content coming your way soon as well. All of it available on our website. CrackRackets.com. A shout out, of course, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a of an editing job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for the fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.